Hey there, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get the gem on the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions, such as how do I get my show on Spotify and all the other places people love to listen? How can I make money with this podcast? And where do I want to host this show? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors so you can get paid to podcast. As an Anchor user myself, I love how easy it is to upload my podcast and the fact I can get to Spotify and other platforms. Plus, I love the fact I can now start making money with my talent and my podcast. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Welcome to the Gem on the Queen's Crown, the podcast covering local Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app, CastBox, Anchor.fm, Acast, Radio Line, Spreaker, Podbean, Podchaser, Pocket Cast, Overcast.fm, Player.fm, Listen Notes, Radio Public, Podbay.fm, Audible, Playapod, Cloudcaster, GPotter.net, Feed, Pod Paradise, Digital Podcast, iVooks, Podcast Blaster, Podcast Pup, TheLeeWMowen.com, and GemCitySports.com. Music is provided by FreestockMusic.com. Now, on to the podcast with your host, Lee W. Mowen. It's episode 43 of the Gem the Queen's Crown, and for the first time in a couple episodes, I don't have a preview before the opening theme. Is there a reason for that? Not really. On this day of recording, this June the 5th, 2018, I'm now a 30-year-old man. And if you follow me on social media, on Facebook or Twitter, which is at the Lee W. Mowen, you know that I couldn't really care about today. And really, it's about me looking in the mirror and seeing a ginormous failure in the mirror. That and also, you know, my hair's parted weird. But... I would like to talk about some local updates to Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports. You know, that's nothing new. And to close up the episode, I'll talk about what I'd really like to see for my birthday. I can't exactly say the same thing I wrote on my episode notes here as I have it open on Microsoft Word, because that means I'd have to edit what I'm about to say. So, no no on that. A big piece of news around the Cincinnati-Dayton high school sports market, well, 
state champions, obviously, but there's a bigger one. Chuck Harlow, who was the head coach of the Northmont Thunderbolts baseball team, has retired. 39 years of being a head coach in the local Dayton area with 714 wins. And 34 years at Northmont, all 34 were winning seasons. Also won 36 games with the Dixie Greyhounds in New Lebanon. Ranked number 8 all-time in the state of Ohio for most career wins in 2014 was named to the Ohio High School Baseball Coaches Association Hall of Fame and in 2012 received the Mike Kelly and Don Donaher Award for Outstanding High School Coach in the Dayton area from the Dayton Agonist Club. Tremendous head coach, always liked being the head coach of Northmont and the kids that he got to work with. The fondest memory I have, which there isn't a lot because I don't really work high school baseball around here, the Reds High School Futures Showcase at Wright State, Centerville Northmont was the first game of the last day there. Uh, the second one was Beaver Creek, Miamisburg. Centerville ended up winning that in extra frames. Trying to remember if it was ninth or 10th. I think it was the ninth at that point. But before the game, I was approached by Centerville Elks coaches asking to read a special note about their plaque that they were giving to Coach Harlow for a 700 win. He picked it up this season. And... It was really cool to be able to do that as an announcer. Uh, both sides coming together, you know, two close rivals of the G-Walk. By close, I mean, you know, always a good game between the Elks and the Thunderbolts, not in terms of, hey, Northmont's just over there. Well, someone told me that Northmont is short for Northern Montgomery County. That's why it's Northmont. I didn't know that until this year, so yay. I learned something new this year. I can check that off my list. Anyway, like I mentioned, ranked 8 all-time in the state of Ohio for head coach career wins. And here's to a great retirement for you, Chuck Carlo. Now let's talk about state champs around the Cincinnati-Dayton area. We have baseball, softball, and lacrosse. And also there is a state champ for women's track and we'll talk a little bit about that as we move on through episode 43 your baseball state champs division two the first one in the dayton area since 1970 the eagles of chaminade julienne they took down previous one lost team wapakoneta three to one for their first title since 1970 it was a local bash, even though Wapakoneta isn't technically considered in the Southwest Ohio District. It's in the Miami Valley, as I mentioned on my podcast several times. I talk about them because they're part of the Miami Valley and Tri-State area. So congrats go out to Eagles, and congrats go out to Wapakoneta on a very fine season. Division three, the runners-up were the Coldwater Cavaliers. They could not take home the state title and division four fort loramie and the redskins they take the d4 state title for softball there are no local t 
teams claiming the title, but we do have a runner-up for Division One, Lakota West. They were ran-ruled by Perry, 11-1 in five innings. Great season by the Firebirds. In Division Four, state semifinalist Bradford, they fell in eight innings to Jeromesville-Hillsdale, 1-0, and eventually it was Hillsdale winning Division Four state title. So congrats go out to those folks. Cincinnati St. Xavier won the Division I boys lacrosse title. And for Division II girls, it was the Marymount Warriors, both Cincinnati schools taking home titles for lacrosse. And the weird thing is I had to go Google search it because it's not on SW District. No, SWDAB.org. SW District is the account if you like to follow them on Twitter. I had to go find it somewhere else. So, congrats go out to St. X and Marymount for their lacrosse titles. There's a really cool story about St. X that recent Twitter follower Adam Baum talked about. So, definitely look that up. I wish I copied it on here, but I didn't. I'm sorry. Now it's time to cover track and field state champions. There's 17 events at the OHSAA championship meet at Ohio State's Jesse Owens Memorial Stadium. And we're going to start with Division 3 first. Minster won Division 3 in women's track with 57 and Covington with 32 for second place. And for the men in Division 3, East Canton with 64, Smithville with 40. Your first local team I think Waynesfield Goshen's close. Covington tied with seventh for Waynesfield Goshen with 23 points. And some other local schools. First for the men's side. I believe Temple Christian is Cincinnati. Minster for the men with six points, 34th place. Tied with Cuyahoga Heights, North Baltimore, and Fisher Catholic. Newton with five points. Euler also with five points. Williamsburg with five. And Sonia with four. Marion Local registers a point along with Bethel, Fort Loramie. These results are available, by the way, at bombspage.com. And you click the 2018 OHSAA track results, and eventually you'll find your way there. Going back to women's Division Three, Parkway tied for 47th with Twin Valley South for three points, as well as a host of teams. Summit Country Day with three. Franklin Monroe with three. Your other teams with three points in the girls' Division Three. I believe that's Columbus Academy. Arcadia and Jackson Milton, not to be confused with Milton Union here in Miami County. Like I mentioned, Minster won the state in Division Three women's track. The first event, Minster took it is the girls' four by eight hundred meter relay with a minute with a time of nine minutes eighteen point forty one seconds. The team of Francis, Waki, Albers, and Magado taking that for the Minster Wildcats. Fort Loramie finished 9th in the event. West Liberty Salem with 10th. 
And if you finish in the top eight, you get a point. If you finish first, it's ten. Second is eight. Third is six. Fourth is five. Fifth is four. Sixth place, you get three points. Two points for seventh and one point for eighth. And that's how the points are lined up. Like I said, Minster State titles in Division Three girls track. We move on to Division Two and spill the beans about who finished where. In the first take, I did this. CVCA finished first in Division Two, and I don't believe that's Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy. I could be wrong. If I am, shoot me an address and shoot me an address. No, shoot me a correction at the normal address. There we go. Dunbar, the Dunbar Wolverines finished second in Division Two in state with 44 points, just seven behind CVCA. Some of our local teams for boys first. Thurgood Marshall with 21 points. Versailles with 18. Clark Montessori with 15. Hey, I said it right. Woo. Springfield Shawnee with 9 points. Chaminade Julian with 8. Hillsborough with 8 too. 8 as well, not 8.2. I don't think you can get point, points in track. I don't know. I ran a year and I wasn't any good. So there you go. Oakwood, 34th place, tied with a bunch of teams with six, along with Bishop Franklin, Bishop Franklin Fenwick. You know, I don't know why it's called Franklin. It's Middle Sound, but whatever. Eaton, tied for 44th with four points. Miami East, five points. Jonathan Alder has five points. There is a team listed as Gar Garfield, so that's great. Garfield the Cat Hates Mondays. That's the second episode in a row that I made a Garfield reference. Okay. Um, Indian Hill with four points. Kenton Ridge with two. Preble Shawnee with two as well. Coldwater with a point. And that's your local finishers in state track. For women, your state title taker would be Beachwood with 38 points. The closest local team would be the Dunbar Wolverines. Again, this is Division 2. And that's 27 points for the Wolverines girls track team. For sales, 12th place, 16 points with Hawken and Van Wert. There's a lot of schools listed on here. Like I said, for state, you have to do very well in districts and regionals to get to Columbus, Ohio to run or to do your event, I should say. Milton Union and 22nd place along with Huron with 11 points. Valley View with 10 points for the women's track. Alter in there with 8. Shamna Julian with 10. Greenan with 8. This is not Trenton Edgewood. This is Ash Edgewood, so that's not the same team. Bell Fountain with 6 points. I mentioned Indian Hill with five points for women. At least I thought I did. Anna makes the list with four points. McNicholas has Cincinnati with three points. Carroll with three points. Oakwood with two points. Along with Springfield Shawnee and Tippecanoe. Benjamin Logan registers a point. Along with Cincinnati, Wyoming. That's your Division Two results. Again... Bombspage.com slash OHSAA slash TF slash 2018 
slash index.htm and you can find the results at the bottom of the page. We'll go to Division 1 now. For women's track, Gahanna Lincoln, which I learned was Gahanna this year. 51 points to take Division 1 women's track title. Your closest local time. Your closest local team would be the Troy Trojans in 7th place with 22 and a half points, so I was wrong. There are half points. Look at me correct myself a couple minutes later. Troy in 7th place, 22 and a half points. Beaver Creek, 20 points for ninth place. Princeton tied with 10th with 19 points with throw, along with Lakota East and Lima Senior, 18 points. Actually, Lima Senior with 16 points. Sorry. Mason with 12 points for 22nd place. And top of Kings, 10 points. Fairfield, 9 points. Centerville also with 9 points, tied for 27th. Wayne, 29th place with 8 points. Turpin with 6. Anderson with 6. Mount Notre Dame, I believe that's Cincinnati. That's 5 points for them. Greenville with 3 points. Lima Shawnee with 3 points. Northmont, 3 points as well. Bellbrook with two points. Bellbrook in Division One for track? Hmm. I do learn something new every day, I guess. I thought Bellbrook would have been in Division Two. That shows you how much I know about divisions. All I care about is spreading the good word of local sports. I hope you agree. Oxford Talawanda registers a point in Division One women's. And I believe that's all the local teams. If I skip one, I'm sorry. There is a lot of words on here, and I'm trying to do this on the fly on here. Pickerington Central wins the boys' track Division One title. And in second place, the Centerville Elks with 36.5 points. Springfield in third with 32, ahead of Gehanna Lincoln's 28. This is boys' Division One now. Look at the local teams. Your next local team, 15th place, Lakota East, 16th place, LaSalle, with 14 points. Miamisburg makes the list tied 22nd with Muller, both teams with 10 points, along with the Carroll Patriots in town. There's Howland. I don't believe this Madison team is Division One. I'm talking Middletown Madison. It could be, and I could be wrong. That might be Mansfield, Madison, now that I think about it. Vandalia Butler and Mason tied for 38 with 9 points, along with the Elder Panthers. LaSalle with 3 points in boys' Division One state results. Wayne and Kings tied with 3, along with Bellbrook. Sycamore with 2 points. Salina with 2 points. Greenville with a point. Middletown with one point. Princeton also with one point. And that's your state track results. So that means that all high school sports are finished until football begins. And that's only a couple months away. Just like my next opportunity to announce. So let's talk about what's happening in the world of local sports. We'll talk about the Dayton Dragons. They're recently coming off a very big win against the first place Lansing Lugnuts. If you didn't know before, 
Dayton's had two series up in Lansing, Michigan. Lugnuts are one of the best minor league teams. They were the best team coming into Dayton. Not so sure with those two losses anymore if that's still the case. But the Lugnuts, they can hit, they can pitch. They are a very dangerous team. And they're the single-A affiliate of the Toronto Blue Jays. They have been for quite some time. Although I think Lansing started off as a Cubs affiliate, if I remember right. West Michigan, I know, started off as an Oakland affiliate before going to Detroit. Grand Rapids, Detroit, that's a pretty nice area right there. And the Great Lakes Loons, they were Southwest Michigan. Were the Michigan, no? Were they the Michigan Biocats? I don't think they were. But there was a long story with them. They've been a couple affiliates and since team purchased them and moved them to Midland in 2007. They've been with the Los Angeles Dodgers. So, Dayton, of course, single A of the Reds. Quite the series. And the starting pitching for Dayton only gave up three runs in three games. Starting pitching was phenomenal, including Hunter Green on Sunday afternoon. Gave up a solo home run, had a no-hitter going into the fifth. And the broadcasters talk on TV how Hunter Green hasn't given up a hit. Next pitch taken to the concession stand in left center field. And that's the end of that talk. There's no such thing as broadcaster jinx, people. Stop blaming it on the broadcasters. Okay? Jack Pole did, uh, you know, try to get the people's forgiveness on that. So that was that was kind of funny. But... Like I mentioned, starting pitching, phenomenal throughout that series. It was, I believe it was Naughton, along with Mondial and Hunter Green, like I mentioned. And all three starters pitched very well. The bullpen, however, gave up 21 of the 24 runs scored by Lansing. The loss that Dayton took, it was one nothing heading into the 7th. And the relief pitcher loaded up the bases, got the last guy he faced on a strikeout, and then was pulled. And Lansing decided to score 11 runs in the last three innings. Four in the 7th, four in the 8th, and three in the ninth. Dayton would get one run in the ninth to end the shutout spell. Dayton would have to go to extra innings Saturday night to take down Lansing. And if you don't know, in minor leagues, you start with a runner at second base when you start extra innings. And Lansing played it pretty smart. First at bat was a bunt, moved the runner over to third. That's your first out. And they eventually scored two in that inning to take a 4-2 to lead. Then Dayton scores two to tie it and scores the winning run on a wild pitch. So Dayton tied up the series. And then Sunday, Dragons really put some runs on starting pitcher Bufo of Lansing. Scored eight in the first two frames off three home runs. And Dayton held on for an 11-8 victory against the Lansing Lugnuts. Like I said, big series win for Dayton. They are now 29-26, and they are heading over to Lake County, which would be East Lake, Ohio, 30 minutes away from Cleveland, take on the captains at Classic Park. 
And then Dayton will be back home, take on first place Bowling Green, who also has had the Dragons number. Not quite as severe as Lansing did. Like I mentioned, Lansing led the series 9-0 before Dayton scored the last two wins of the home series. Bowling Green's tough. They have Brandon McKay, who, if you remember from last year's draft, McKay was scheduled to go to the Reds because San Diego was supposed to take Hunter Green. That's the team that Hunter Green really wanted to get drafted by. But didn't happen like that. Reds got Hunter Green, and Tampa Bay picked up McKay, who's the first baseman, also left-handed pitcher from University of Louisville. McKay's had a pretty good season, and Hunter Green has... Really done a nice job these last few games. Picked up his first professional win in a Dragons top. He didn't pick up a win when he was at Billings last season after the draft. At least I don't think he did. But then again, he didn't pitch much. So there you go. Hunter Green's really done a nice job. And really, it's about the pace that he's doing. He's making it his own. And he's done that so well. Last few games, he's been able to get to five innings. No problem. The Dragons pulled Green after five innings this game because he reached his pitch count, which is, you know, 80-85. You, know, you don't want to ruin a kid's young arm. He's supposed to turn 19 in a couple months. So there we go. Reds, on the other hand, they fell at San Diego two games out of three. And the nice thing about being on the West Coast, I got to listen to both of the games after the Dragons game was over. And... Jeff Brantley, who I really like with Marty Brenneman on the call, brought up a very good point on the inning he did play-by-play. When Billy Hamilton reaches first, why isn't he running? He can get out of double plays with his speed and just make them one-out ground outs or what have you. There was one time which uh, UD's Stamen He pitched. He pitched a scoreless frame. Didn't allow one hit, but struck out Scooter Jeanette. Versailles kid doing a nice job with San Diego this year. But the big thing Jeff asked on both those games, why isn't Billy running? I don't know. I'm not the manager. In fact, I had the opportunity to go to a Reds game on my birthday, and I just said, nah. I mean, after you find parking, you know, if you want anything close (laughs) to... That's a couple bucks out of your wallet. I don't know. I just didn't feel like going. I don't know why. Hopefully, you know, I do go to a Reds game eventually, but it just just didn't feel like, you know. I didn't want to do that for my birthday, I guess. The Reds, they have been playing better as of late, but they're still in the basement of the NL Central. The draft's happening, and I don't know if you saw it, because the one thing I have been retweeting that hasn't been, this sucks, I'm turning 30, and my life sucks, and blah, 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 is pretty much how people read it. The Reds have had three picks. Oh yeah, I forgot I screenshotted the Twitter balloons. The only real thing I wish Twitter would let me do is pop them. Third baseman from Florida, Jonathan India is now part of the Reds family. And he didn't learn this when it happened. He was busy playing for his Gators. I think it was against LSU, if I remember right. 
So, fifth pick, it's a third baseman, Jonathan India. And I'm sure there's a lot of Reds fans going, You don't need a third baseman. We got Senzel and Eugenio Suarez on a long contract. True, but with his athleticism, you might be able to move him to second. Maybe short. And if he continues the hitting tear that he's been on, you got yourself a pretty fine batter there. So, fifth pick is third baseman, Jonathan India. Most of the draft picks don't reach Dayton in the first year. Nick Senzel did, along with Chris Oakey, for that matter, a couple of years back. The you know the one year we almost lost a hundred games. I'm not sure if they'll be in Dayton. They might be in Greenville, Tennessee, home of Tusculum Pioneers and also the new Rookie League affiliate for the Reds in the Appalachian League, or Billings. They've been part of the Reds since what '82. Something like that. Maybe even 72. They've been around a while. Although their contract is up at the end of the year. And I'm not sure on the process of that. But like I said. Not sure if they'll be in Dayton. But next year possibly. 47th pick. The Reds take Lion Richardson. A right hander from Jensen Beach High School. Out of Florida. So right hander the Reds pick up. Can't have enough pitchers I say. 72nd pick. Another right-hander, this time from Lemoyne College out of the Syracuse area. The Dolphins, as they're called. I believe that's Lemoyne College. I hope I'm not thinking of another Lemoyne, but it's a right-hander, Josiah Gray. That's the 72nd pick that the Reds have used. Throws fastballs in the 91 to 96 miles per hour range. Filled out some this season. So, I like the picks. I... I don't have a crystal ball. I can't tell you if they'll become Reds or just won't make it through the farm system. I don't know. But I like these picks, and hopefully you'll see them in Dayton. So enough about the Reds. There is something else I retweeted. OHSAA football, the playoff format for this year, new regions and state champions location, will be announced Wednesday, tomorrow, after the day recording, which is June 5th, at 5 o'clock. So, big news for you high school football fans. Now talk about soccer. If I can ever pull up the tie back, thank you. The Dutch Lions. They, in Dayton, have a four-game winning streak and also undefeated after five matches. Dayton is currently in first place, I believe. Like I mentioned, Coach Grice took the reins of the Dutch Lions after it was announced that the Dynamo weren't playing this year. And most of the Dutch Lions are former members of the Dynamo. They have done a very nice job in West Carrollton. This is probably Dayton's best team that they've had. Go see the Dutch Lions. It's good footy. It's good soccer if you're American. And it's not that pricey to get into. If I could ever find the standings, there we go. The webpage didn't want to work for me. Funny that. Dayton is in first place over the Lansing United team. Lansing being a first-year member to the PDL. Dayton is 4-0-1. That's wins, losses, and ties with 13 points. Of a goal differential of plus 9. 
and 401 in division play. Lansing United's in second place with 12 points, three wins, three draws. Dutch Lions have scored the most goals with 13, and have allowed the least with four, along with Lansing United. West Virginia, 1-1-3 in third place. Michigan, 1-2-1, the perennial power. And the Dayton at Michigan game, they weren't playing at the arena they normally do. I think it's like Ultimate Suck or something. I'm not sure. But it's literally an outdoor pitch in a barn. It's kind of nice. Because you could fight off the heat and the elements. Cincinnati's Dutch Lions are 0-2-2. They're on a two-game undefeated streak after dropping the first two games. They have scored, Cincinnati's Dutch Lions have scored two goals and allowed five for negative three goal differential. And Derby City out of Louisville, 0-4-1 this year with one point, two goals scored, and 12 allowed, which is negative 10. That's your look at both Cincinnati and Dayton. Dutch Lions, both teams in the PDL, which if you have to explain to someone that's not sure about that type of stuff, it's summer soccer for mostly collegiate athletes. You might have a couple pros sharpen up type of thing. Now we'll check out FC Cincinnati. You've heard the big news, which is obviously FC Cincinnati Water, now available at Kroger. No, that's not the big news. That's just the first thing that popped up. Is it that stuff that says it's vapor-distilled water? Huh. The Kroger Spring Water Packs have FC Cincinnati branding on them. Normally, it's Mr. Redlegs and his mustache and like, Hey! Baseball! Which, if he talks to you on the package, Get out of there! Water packages aren't supposed to talk to you! Moving right along. Coming off one of the biggest weeks in club's history, you know, moving to MLS next year. Yeah. FC Cincinnati and Alpine Valley Pure Service have partnered to launch an FCC-branded water, which will be widely available at Greater Cincinnati Kroger locations beginning this week. Okay, so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not just, you know... Wow, 24 packs, 5 bucks. Ouch. I have a hard time buying Meyer spring water 24 packs for 3 bucks. I'm not spending 5 bucks on that. I don't care how big of a fan I am. Wow. Let's talk about the FC Cincinnati season, which happens to be going quite swimmingly this year. In fact, the FC Cincinnati squad's in first place over Louisville City. Cincinnati has yet to beat Louisville City. They lost 2 nothing at Nippert Stadium but came back with a nice comeback win in Harrison, New Jersey against the New York Red Bulls 2, a 2-1 to one win. And the next Open Cup match will be tomorrow, Wednesday, June 6th at 7.30 at, well, it says Cincinnati, Ohio. I have to assume that'd be Nippert. Don't think they put it at Gettler again. Not sure, though. Minnesota United of MLS. If you're going to become an MLS member, Time to take some more MLS teams down. Of course, last year, remember, FC Cincinnati fell to the Red Bulls in, what was it, semifinals of the Open Cup? But took down Columbus Crew and Chicago Fire in that run. That was a heck of a run. I think FC Cincinnati can build off last year's run and make it special this year, too. The next non-Open Cup game is Saturday, June 9th at Cary, North Carolina. 
the home of the North Carolina FC squad. And that'll start at 7 o'clock there. Next home game is Wednesday, June 13th at 7.30 at Nippert Stadium against the Bethlehem Steel FC, which is the current home of former Wright State Raider A.J. Patterson. I looked, and it's great to see him in pro soccer. So FC Cincinnati doing quite well this year. It would be nice if I could find the standings on here, but uh, maybe that's too much for me to ask. I'm not sure. Just noticed something on the USL tab that there's expansion teams listed on here. USL Austin, Chicago East Bay, and Memphis without logos. There's a Legion logo in El Paso, USL. What's the Legion one? I'm going to find out. Birmingham! Is Birmingham, Alabama? I thought they were going to USL Division 3. Hmm. Doesn't say where they're from. Okay. And I'm not going to bother to look any further than that. So we'll go to USL.com. Hopefully it's... That is not the standings page. It's not the correct page at all. It might still have the old website from when I was working with the Dayton Dutch Lions which would be a couple seasons ago. So let's go to standings. FC Cincinnati is indeed first place, one point ahead of Louisville City. FC Cincinnati, seven wins, two draws, and three losses, 22 goals scored, 16 allowed, a differential plus six, which is not the top. The top would have to go to Pittsburgh and Louisville City, both at plus seven. Pittsburgh is two points behind FC Cincinnati. Followed by Charlotte, Charleston, Nashville at 5-4-2, Bethlehem Steel in 7th, the Tampa Bay Rowdies in 8th, New York Red Bulls 9th, Indy 11, 10th, Ottawa Fury, Fury, not Fury, yes it's Ottawa Fury, Ottawa Fury FC, North Carolina FC, Penn FC, Richmond, it's weird to see Richmond kickers 14th place, 3-1-6, they're normally one of the stronger teams in the USL. Atlanta United 2-4-6, and, and in 16th place, Toronto FC's second squad at 0-2-10. And, and these records are win, draws, and losses. Out in the West, it's Real Monarchs 10-1-2. What a year they're having. That goal differential is plus 13 for them. Phoenix, Sacramento, Portland, Orange County, Reno, 1868, Swope. Hope that's Swope. It might be Swope Hay. That word looks like Swope, but it sounds Swope Hay. Yeah. Swope Hay Park Rangers, Colorado Springs, San Antonio, St. Louis, Fresno, LA Galaxy 2, Las Vegas Lights, Rio Grande Valley Toros, Sounders FG2, OKC Energy, and in last place in the West, the Tulsa Roughnecks 0 7 and 5. That's seven draws. On five losses. A goal differential of negative 12. Now let's look at the Cincinnati Sirens. They took it to Empire. If I could spell right. Doing this on the fly again. Which I probably shouldn't do. But with my laptop freezing. I wanted to make sure that it didn't make it crash. Before I got there. Cincinnati Sirens took down Empire. Rain Club by a score of. 7 to nothing. Lots of local Wright State and Dayton women's soccer players there. Go check them out. They play at Lakota West. 
And Cincinnati will be back at home on the 9th of June at 5 versus FC Pride. They're out of Indiana. And then they'll hit the road for two games at Cleveland and at Indy. Cincinnati won't get a chance to play the Columbus Eagles as you play one game either there or here. And because that game was forfeited because of lack of trainer, it turns out that, you know, Cincinnati lost that game 5 nothing. Took it to Empire Revs, not Rain like I thought it was. 7 nothing, like I mentioned. And FC Pride comes into town on the 9th at 5 o'clock. Support local Sunday sports. So I covered the bases on local sports as much as I can actually remember off the top of my mind. And now it's time for me to talk about my birthday wish. That's right. It's my birthday today. Woo. Like I mentioned in the beginning, I don't really care. It's another day and pretty much I'm not going to celebrate it. So, yeah. I do want to wish the people a thank you who have wished me a happy birthday already on Facebook and Twitter. If you listen to this podcast, probably not. But if you listen to this podcast, thank you. It, it does mean a lot to me, even though I'm struggling with the fact that I feel like a gigantic failure at life. So, yeah. Birthday wish. It's my podcast. I'll wish what I want to. I'll wish for the first thing that comes to my mind. You know, a job. Give me a broadcasting job in the area, please. How many more times do I need to send my resume out? I'm close to a thousand games broadcasted. I know how to run a board. I know how to do social media. I know how to Photoshop. Well, I know how to GIMP. It's the free Photoshop version. I'm not paying Photoshop prices. Get real. And I'm not illegally downloading it either. Get, get off that. I would like a job. I want to feel like I belong. You know, this November will be eight years since walking with my diploma. Eight years. I don't know what people have already said on Facebook. Most people that want to do this don't. They stop. In fact, there's not a lot of people I can name that I actually went to school with and worked at the college station with that are actually in this. But here's the thing. On interviews, if we put it in baseball and softball terms, I'm batting close to 200. I feel like I get a job interview after every five that I send out, every five job applications I send out. Some of these aren't even broadcasting. These are other things, too, so don't be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Because I know there's at least one of you that's going to do that. Anyway, so I can get a job interview about one every five applications sent out. In terms of getting a job, I'm like one for... I don't know how many job interviews I've had. Seems like a billion, but no. Um, and, and that turned out to be great, too, because I had like five people tell me to send in my stuff, and I did every time, and then they took the job offer away from me. It was a board op job, so I was really looking forward to it. And I got the job. They offered me the job. I accepted, and I sent all the paperwork in. Then there was 
I don't want to talk about it. It's going to be mad. If I punch this microphone, it might not work anymore. So, you know, there's that. So, yeah, a job. That's reasonable. Give me a job in broadcasting. That'd be great. It would also take some of my anxiety away. Last night, I got maybe two hours of sleep. So, yeah, it, it wasn't a good night. So, a job. That's That's reasonable. Now we'll go to the probably not reasonable aspect of this. I'd love to run my own station. Make it a sports station. I feel like in Dayton, Ohio, Mark Schlemmer said this on the podcast many times, you don't have to pick something close. You have something of all four cardinal directions. You got Toledo, you got Columbus, you got Cincinnati, you got Indianapolis. But in Dayton, you got your options too. Why aren't these options being talked about these stations? I mean, I love listening to Kenner and Schlummer. Those two gentlemen do a nice job. It's just... There's so many sports around here that don't get coverage. I mean, maybe not even a sports station. Just a station where I can... You know, I can have a station and call my own again. I called WWSU home because I did pretty much everything as sports director. And, yeah, I'm not going over that story again. <laughs> you can hear it a couple episodes ago. I don't remember which one. It's in the 40s, though. One of them that I'm talking throughout the thing. Really, I... I've always mentioned that broadcasting was something I always wanted to do since I was a kid. I've I've talked about this, but something I don't think I've talked about, or at least into tremendous depth, the second thing I've always wanted to do was be a teacher. Yeah. And I was questioning, should I go for a teaching degree or a broadcasting degree? If I knew what I know now, I probably would have just went with the educational degree. I mean, sure, there's a lot of teachers out there that are struggling, and it's not a glorious field either. But at the same time, I feel like I would have gotten a job by now. If I could teach people how to broadcast, how to do stuff like that, that would be something I really enjoy. Not even just broadcasting. If I had to give that up, but I could teach, I wouldn't mind that. I feel like, you know, useful. At that point, I guess. So, yeah. I'd love to run my own radio station and use it so that people interested in broadcasting get, you know, their hands, you know, their hands dirty in broadcasting. Learn from experience, what have you. Another birthday wish. Hmm. Shouldn't have made this a birthday episode because anymore I don't really ask for anything. I can't really think of anything, really. You know, a job. And, you know, my own station, which probably won't happen. And just, again, it it makes me... It makes me sad that we have such a great sports scene around here, and there's only two radio stations, and there's only one local show talking about it. I mean, Cincinnati, yeah, you got sports talk. Out the wazoo. Lance McAllister, he does a nice job. Bo Egger does a nice job. The other night, I was coming home from the Horizon League tournament. I was listening to Mo Egger talk about how the Reds and Homer Bailey should just split up and 
money shouldn't really be the factor in deciding if Homer Bailey goes or not. I didn't disagree with him on that. I mean, it sucks that Homer Bailey's been injured that much, but he brought up some good points. And in having an opinion like that, I mean, that's something I gotta work on. I mean, because my opinions aren't like, you said that? I would try to look at both sides of the coin. That's how I always been. At least how I, I always try to be. So, yeah, my birthday wishes are that. And more listeners on this podcast, that'd be pretty swell too. Although the numbers have risen back up in the last few weeks, so that makes me pretty happy. This is me being happy. We. I'm still mad I can't pop those balloons on Twitter like bubble wrap. But, there you go. I guess that'll do it for episode 43. Uh, the original plan for 43 was scrapped. Uh, hopefully we'll do that next week. I promise. Uh, that one I'm looking forward to. It's my, uh, it's the first person I ever broadcasted a game with on WWSU, Andy Wilson. I'm going to have him on the podcast, so I am really looking forward to that. Hopefully it's 44, might be later, I'm not sure. Still have a couple ideas I'd like to pan out. And late next month will be the one-year anniversary of me having a podcast and actually doing it for all but one month. I think if I keep on schedule, maybe start doing more two-a-days. Two-a-days. Yeah, I'm going to start doing more two-a-days. I need to really whip myself up in shape. (laughs) I can't believe I said that. That's not getting edited, though. Um... Two a week. Two episodes a week. I might start doing that to reach 52 the last week of July. I might not. I don't know. I haven't really decided. But what I have decided is it's my 30th birthday. I'm going to do something. I'm going to go out and do laundry. Adult stuff. Adult stuff. Yay. For all the people that wish me happy birthday so far and listen to the podcast, thank you very much. Sorry I'm... Blooming Gus about it. I should be back to normal in a couple days. Maybe not really, but you know. That'll do it. Episode 43 is in the books of the Gem on the Queen's Crown. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Gem on the Queen's Crown. Follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, the iHeartRadio app, TuneIn, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Acast, Radio Public, Anchor.fm, Radio Line, Player.fm, Spreaker, Podbean, Podchaser, Overcast.fm, BeyondPod, Podbait.fm, and Listen Notes by searching Gem in the Queen's Crown. Like the Facebook page, The Gem on the Queen's Crown, and follow on Twitter at Gem on Queen Crown. Follow the host on Twitter and Facebook at The Lee W. Mowen. Visit theleewmowen.com and gemcitysports.com Music provided by freestockmusic.com Music